morning, everybody. It's nice. To, I always thought the remember the TV program Cheers and their theme song. You want to be everybody wants to be in a place where everybody knows their name. You know, I I pastor at Faith Chapel for 36 years, and I go there now, and I go in the coffee shop and <clears throat> order my drink, and the gal in the coffee shop says. What's the name on this? <laughs> and uh, then I, I was kind of insulted the first time, but then I remember she was probably six years old when I pastored there, so I guess I'll guess I'll let it go. Ron Mel, who most of you would not know, was my mentor for a number of years, and. Uh, before I came to Billings in 1977, he came to speak at a, a midweek class that I was doing that I asked him to come to. And uh, before the class, I walked up to him and I said, well, Ron, I'm going to Billings, Montana to start a church. What do you think I ought to teach on? He said, well, I think it would be a good idea to teach on love for about two years. <laughs> I wish I would have listened to him is that creates a culture where God can do his best work. God works best in an atmosphere of love. Nobody likes to be in a place where they're not loved. Paul wrote these words that are familiar to us, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm just making a lot of noise. <laughs> A resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, in other words, if I'm functioning in all the gifts of the Spirit. If I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, the ultimate sacrifice, but have not love, I gain nothing. So I have this little formula, I think I, maybe I've shown it to you before, it's, it's like an algebra formula, it's anything minus love equals nothing, anything, whatever you do, if love is not involved, it means nothing. So I want to begin this morning by asking a question, why do you do what you do? Be honest with yourself. Why do you do what you do? You know, the, the what we do is important. We could do what we're doing or we could do something else. Where we do what we do is important because we could do what we're doing where we are or someplace else. How we do what we do is important because we obviously want to do what we do with excellence. But it seems to me if you can, get the, you can get the what right, you can get the where right, you can get the how right, but if the why is not right, in other words, the motive, then nothing else seems to be right. Jesus was approached by a Pharisee who asked him a question that I think probably most of us are familiar with. What is the greatest commandment? That's right. 
That's what that's how that's how Jesus answered that. We're all familiar with that, but do we live that way? Now I know this is this might be like review to some of you. I wrote wrote a quote from C.S. Lewis a few days ago. People need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. The real job of every moral teacher is to keep on bringing us back time after time to the old simple principles. We forget so quickly. When the man asked him what was the most important commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know what that word all means in the Greek? All. (laughs) With all your soul, with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang or depend on these two commandments. Mark added to that list strength. Love, Love God with all of your strength. In other words, love Him completely. Now, you might be asking, well, Pastor, are you suggesting that I don't love the Lord? I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just asking a question. I'm not asking what you say when you pray. I'm not asking what you sing when you sing. Do you love the Lord? How do you know that? I may have told the story about my brother, who was a hoodlum most of his life. He uh, he did drugs. He's an alcoholic, just had a tough time with life. But about uh, probably seven or eight years before he passed away, he, he got it, found the Lord. And so he got uh, cancer in his lungs. He'd been a smoker, got cancer in his lungs, and, and then he started getting these horrendous headaches, found out that he had uh, cancer in his brain as well. And uh, I knew he was dying, so he's my brother, but I was trying to be his pastor as well as his brother. So I went over to his house one day, and I, I said, Marlon, just because I knew he was going to die within a week or two, I said, Marlon, imagine what it's going to be like when you get to heaven. Grandma Simmons is there, Grandpa Simmons is there, Grandma Lenoy and Grandpa Lenoy are there, named several aunts and uncles. And he was, he was down on the far end of the couch from me. And when I said that, he scooted right up close to me and got right in my face. And he said, I just want to see him. I think we'd all say that that's loving God. But Jesus described it a different way. He said, if you love me, you will do what I ask you to do. Wow. That's a little different expression of love, isn't it? If you love me, you'll do what I ask you to do. So love God. Second is love people. It's second in sequence, not in importance. They're all regarded as, as one command. A few months ago, this is how this sermon developed. I've been working on it for months. I decided to look up every reference in the New Testament to love. I did. I copied them into a Word document and went through them, and I eliminated all the ones that were duplicates or were very, very similar to to one another. 
And uh, the conclusion that I came to from that study was that God loves every person I come in contact with. And he asked me to do the same. Now think about that. Every person that I come in contact with, God says, I want you to love them as I've loved you. Seems to me, and I observed it even this morning in the songs that we sing, it's quite normal. We focus a lot more on loving God than we do on loving people. Is that appropriate? Well, maybe not. Because this man came to Jesus and... uh, Jesus said to him, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. If 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 we really did that, it would be really hard on church attendance. Wouldn't it? So before you talk to me, go get it straightened out with your brother. Now, we don't do that. We just don't. So a few months ago, Kelly Ope, who's on the staff at Faith Chapel, called me on the telephone and he said, Pastor Stan, uh, he mentioned a, a young man named Eaton. His last name was Eaton. He was the son of one of my staff members a number of years ago and had since moved away. He said, he's here, he's looking for you. He's riding a bicycle, he's got a backpack, and it's obvious that he's homeless. He's looking for you. I said, oh, okay. And I thanked him for not giving, giving him my phone number and address. I said, well, I'll, I'll look for him on Saturday night when I come to church. So I went to church that Saturday night. I was by myself for some reason. And when I got out of the car, I, I saw the, the young man. I didn't recognize his face, but I, he was riding a bicycle, had a backpack, and was obviously homeless. So I walked straight into the church. Walked through the foyer. I didn't hang on the foyer at all. Walked into the worship center. And the first song started to play. I was in the, my usual third or fourth row seat. And uh, we were standing. The song began, and I started to lift up my hands like this, and then it hit me. I turned around and left. I asked one of the men who was a greeter in the lobby about the young man. He said, no, I think he left. I missed it. Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now notice this is a new command. What's new about it is loving as he loved us. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. In other words, people will know that you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, by your love for other people. It doesn't say by your love for God. It says by your love for men. They will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Not minimizing, obviously, loving God. 
So he could have said, love your neighbor. He did it in another place. He could have said, love your enemies. He did it in another place. But he said, love your neighbor. Or, excuse me, he said, love one another. And uh, it seems to me that that should be the easiest. It should be easier for me to love you than to love someone that I don't know or someone who's an enemy. The context of that passage of Scripture, you remember in, in the Gospel of John, there are a number of chapters in a row that are in the upper room. And when he said, love one another as I've loved you, the context that that's said in is that he had just washed the disciples' feet. Now, I bet nobody ever said it to you this way, and you might think it's kind of gross, but, but it is. Have you ever had dog poop on your shoe? Yeah. Can you imagine walking into a meal with dog poop on your on your shoe? Especially if it's the kind of seating arrangement where people recline and stick their feet up in your face. You might say, "Well, Pastor Stan, that's gross." It is gross, but that's that's what is being said here. When Jesus washed their feet, we think about Washing of feet is something real spiritual. It's only spiritual because of the motive, why Jesus did what he did. You could say that loving in this way would be like uh, taking out the trash if you did it with the right motive. Cleaning out the dishwasher, mowing, mowing the grass. It's a very practical thing. As practical as cleaning the dog poop off somebody's shoes. That's how practical it is. Jesus said, I want you to love people in this way. I don't know how many of you know Nate Petzl, who's the pastor at Faith Chapel, but he's, a, he's really a fine man. And uh, when he first came, he's been, he's been the pastor there for 10 years now, I think it was the first year, maybe it was even the summer before he took over. <clears throat> I called him and I said, I said, Nate, I need, I need some help getting a patio fireplace out of my pickup. It's too heavy, I can't lift it. You got a bunch of husky boys at your house, why don't you bring them over and I'll give them 20 bucks a piece to help me get it out of my pickup. So he brought them over, one of them. And he, he and his son Garrison, unloaded my pickup, carried the fireplace back to the patio, <laughs> unpackaged it, and put it together. I tried to talk him out of it. He started putting it together. I said, no, no, you don't need to do that. He just kept on working. It took him about two hours, I suppose. And I've noticed, I've noticed since then that very often when, when Nate and I meet together, he'll say, is there anything I can do for you? If you say that, you better be sincere. <laughs> Somebody might ask you to come over and unload a fireplace. One time, my uncle's pastor came over to his house, and uh, he was just about ready to leave. He said to my uncle, is there anything I can do for you? Well, my uncle didn't sense sincerity when he said that. 
So he said, well, yes. He says, that, that hay field over there needs to be mowed and raked. <laughs> That's not what he expected to hear. He was saying it to be polite. He was not saying it because he meant it. So what does love look like? Well, by the illustration that I gave, our acts of service can be an expression of love. Nate, ha <coughs> Nate has four children. Three of them had moved out by this time. And he walked up to Sam. He said, Sam, what do you, what do you think about this? All your brothers and sisters have left home. Expecting Sam to like that because he was, he was the only one left and he'd receive all the attention. But Sam said, well, that just means you'll be in my business all the time. <laughs> we know that love looks like kindness and patience. We read that in the passage of Scripture we read a few minutes ago. In that passage, 1 Corinthians 13, there are, I believe there are eight thing, seven things that, are, that love is and seven things that love is not. So love is to be reflected in our attitude and our actions. Both of those are mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no, excuse me, no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So in the passages that I looked up, I came, I narrowed it down to these, these three. Love is to be a lifestyle. There's one little phrase, just part of a verse that says, do everything in love. That's pretty comprehensive. So if you're singing a song, do that in love. If you're praying a prayer, do that in love. If you're greeting someone that you know, do that in love. If you're greeting someone you don't know, do that in love. At work, do what you do in love. Do everything in love. When Ginger and I first came here, there, was a, there were 13 people that gathered with us the first time we met. And one of them was Rita. I don't know if you guys remember Rita or not. Rita... Uh, well, this will put it in context. Rita heard a sermon by Amy Semple McPherson on a record and threw her medicine away, threw her pills away. She shouldn't have done that. She talked incessantly. I mean, you couldn't get a word in edgewise. She'd talk to us at church, and she'd always be the last one that we talked to at church, and then by the time we got home, she was calling on the telephone. <laughs> so we finally said to our kids, because we just needed some rest, had to draw some boundaries. Phone rang, we'd say, we'd lay down on the floor and then say, tell her, tell her we're lying down. <laughs> we weren't doing that to be mean. We were doing that because we needed a, needed a little bit of space. So early on, Rita asked us to come over to her house for dinner. So we, we were happy to do that. So we went over to her house. We all sat in the living room, and she talked, and she talked, and she talked, and she talked. And we'd been there a long time. And finally, Ginger realized that she wasn't going to cook any dinner. She was too busy talking. So Ginger, Ginger asked her what she was going to fix. She told her, and Ginger went in and fixed it. 
And then when we were through eating, Ginger had to clean up the kitchen. <laughs> a little later, we found out that Rita was going to move. So Ginger graciously said, well, I'll get five or six guys to help you move. It's Ron Todd and several other guys. Ginger showed up that day and nothing was packed. She had to pack it. The guys had to help pack it and then, and then move it. A couple of years ago, several staff members started making fun of Rita. And it was kind of funny the way that she acted, but they were making fun of her and I, I just didn't want any part of that. We loved Rita. The second phrase is, love is to be authentic. The way that the Romans 12, 9 says is, love must be sincere. Now, the word sincere, I looked that word up, and it means to be authentic, without pretense, without hypocrisy. In other words, when you leave today, there'll be a lot of people out in the lobby. It means that when you smile at them, you, you mean it. When you shake their hand, you mean it. It's authentic. No, no pretending involved there. As a pastor, you know, I heard all kinds of phrases. People were always saying how much they love you, respect you, and all that. And so I was golfing out Laurel one day and, and uh, golfing with Charlie Fox. And this, uh, this guy asked if, if he could join us. I didn't recognize him. But he said immediately, he says, you're, you're my pastor. I said, really? Yeah. And then on the next hole, he proceeded to tell me how he went around paying his t not paying his taxes. He had this scheme where he didn't pay any taxes. I thought, that's kind of crazy. So on the last hole, I said to him, I said, you said that I'm your pastor, right? He said, Yeah. I said, and then you proceeded to tell me how you avoid paying taxes. Doesn't seem like I'm really your pastor, if you tell me that. It doesn't seem like I'd really be your pastor if I let you say that and I didn't say something about it. So love isn't just being nice. Love is, is uh, authentic. Next phrase is, love covers a multitude of sins. This verse bothered me for years. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And the way I read that, it was like love, love hides sins. And that bothered me. But I've thought about it, and it's, it's like this. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, have you heard... And now proceed to tell you about some situation. That's what this is talking about. Somebody's exposing sin. Did you know? And now proceed to uncover some sin. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, <clears throat> if, you if you find a brother caught in sin, and the word there means to be ensnared, like a net, the snaring of fish. 
you see someone caught in sin, those of you who are spiritual should go to them in a spirit of gentleness and restore them. It means to set them free. In other words, if you see someone trapped by sin, it isn't that you got caught like I caught you. It's like they're, they're trapped by sin. And a godly person will set them free. That's what it's talking about. Love covers the multitude of sins. You protect people so that they can be set free. You don't expose them. I had a, a council member a number of years ago who uh, loved this guy on my council for a number of years. His wife came to me and uh, told me that he was asking for a divorce. I couldn't believe it at first, but she convinced me. So I, I went down the hallway. I got in my office down the hallway, and I got Ron Todd. I said, Ron, I want you to come with me. So we got in the car and drove downtown to this man's office. He's, he's an attorney. How much do attorneys make now an hour, you know? A lot. Well, the, this, this guy at that time was making 600 bucks an hour. I cost him a lot of money that day. Because I walked in the office and I said, I'd like to speak to, mentioned his name. She said, well, I'm sorry, he's not available right now. I said, okay, well, I'll just wait over here until he is available. So Ron and I went over and sat down in the waiting room and we waited for, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 minutes. Pretty soon this guy showed up. He came around, around not directly out, but went around and came in. How you doing? So I said, well, could I, could I talk to you for a few minutes? So we went back to his office, and like I said, I cost him a lot of money that day. We spent two hours in his office uh, trying to convince him not to get a divorce. He wasn't being convinced. And so I said, will you do, will you do me one more favor? Will you come down to my office on Saturday? and spend some time talking to Ron and I and your wife all together. He said, okay. We sat and talked for quite a while, and finally, he wasn't being convinced. I literally got down on my hands and knees in front of him, and I begged him, please don't do this. Please don't do this. He wouldn't be stirred. The entire law is summed up in these commands, not 600 plus. You know, there were 600, a lot more than that, or 900 and some rules that the religious people had come up with, but there were 600 plus laws. And Jesus said they're all summed up in this one. So 600, that's, that's kind of confusing, and how would you ever follow 600, keep track of it? One, I can, I can grasp that. Sounds like two, but there's just one. Second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. Love is simple, but it's not easy. 
It's not confusing. There are not a whole lot of commands. I didn't say anything this morning. I don't think they would confuse you. Hopefully it would make it simpler. But it doesn't make it any easier, does it? So how can you, how can you do this? How can you live this way? Let me give you a sentence. And if you'll do this sentence, I can promise you, you can live that way, the way that we've described today. Live in the reality of what God has done for you. And then pass that on to everybody else. Every time I'm tempted to judge someone else, I always remember me. How has God treated me? People say, why do you talk about grace so much? Because I've received so much grace. Just keep in mind everything that God has done for you and then pass that on to everybody that you come in contact with. Everyone you meet. Lord, this morning, I've not said anything that people don't know. But it seems like, Lord, we just, we don't do it very well. So I pray that we would live in your mercy, live in your grace, live in your forgiveness. Appreciate that. We sing about that all the time, how much we appreciate your grace. But help us pass that on to everybody else. It doesn't take a genius to find fault. But it takes a godly person to look at themselves and be thankful and grateful for your forgiveness and your grace and pass that on to everybody we meet. I ask that you'd help us to do that, Lord. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning, I want to ask, because I, I don't know all of you, I'd like to ask if there's anyone here today who has not yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's never come a point in your life where you made a decision to turn from your life of sin and begin to follow Jesus. And you followed through on that. If you've not done that, but you'd like to do it today, without embarrassing you, I won't embarrass you at all, would you just, would you just lift up your hand if you want to say, today's the day I want to give my life to Jesus? Yeah. Okay, I see both of you. Anybody else? Today's my day that I want to give my life to Jesus. I think all of us probably could raise our hands and say, yes, Lord, we want to follow you. We want to serve you. Lord, I give thanks for these who've raised their hands today, and I pray that, that you'd speak to them about water baptism. They'd get baptized in water right away. Thanks for your love, Lord. Thanks for your goodness to us. Help us live in that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Let's stand together and sing.